BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Jenna Wortham. I'm Wesley Morris. We're two people who love Whoopi Goldberg. This is Still Processing. A few weeks ago, I opened Instagram, and instead of seeing friends stunting on me on beach vacations while I'm stuck in cold <laughs> New York, my entire feed was flooded with some of the most luxurious, juicy, delicious photographs of none other than Whoopi Goldberg. And it really took me by surprise because, A, I have not thought about this person in a real way. Like, I'll see glimpses of Whoopi on The View, especially around Halloween when they always dress up in their hideous and yet amazing costumes. But I was really taken aback because she looks so soft, Mm. so elegant, Mm. and just beautiful in these images. So... I did a little investigating. They are part of a huge feature in a recent issue of Garage Magazine. Um, Oh, Garage. mm -hmm. That weighs about 700 pounds. (laughs) Yes, getting a workout. So the photographs are by Charlie Engman, styled by an incredible fashionista named Solange Franklin. And the image I saw the most is of Whoopi in this gorgeous, pristine, white architectural top by Christopher John Rogers. And I would say the clothing occupy about 90% of the image. Mm. She's leaning away from the picture. Her face is captured in this almost orgasmic ecstasy. Mm. It's majestic is the word. Well, you know, it's funny to hear you talk about Whoopi Goldberg flooding your Instagram. Because I think most people think of Whoopi Goldberg as being Celia in the color purple. Mm -hmm. Or in Sister Act. Or they think of her big mouth on The View saying all the truths that nobody even thinks need to be said. But it's interesting because I don't think we think a lot about all that she has done, represented, symbolized, Mm. pioneered Mm. in these 34 years. You know, my reaction to seeing her, too, was one of frustration. I was mostly frustrated with myself Mm. Mm -hmm. that I stopped giving her credit. Oh, For everything that she contributed and did for the culture. And there's so much more to her than we think about, and I think the photographs did a really great job of representing and repackaging her as someone who cares about fashion, about someone who does care about aesthetics, even though she's only rocking in her clogs and her shapeless t-shirts on The View, which go ahead, girl, like hashtag goals. Like I'm trying to be on national TV every day in a work shirt and clogs. Like that is, that is me in 20 years, if I'm lucky. But she also represents a type of Black person that we don't normally get to see. And she makes us think differently about Blackness and the malleability of it and the different shapes that it can take versus the shapes that we're kind of told it can take. She's a national treasure. She is. Because, you know, for anybody who doesn't remember, this is the deal. 
This woman went from being, you know, a cute little ingenue style comedian performance artist that nobody had ever heard of before to being in The Color Purple, one of the great iconic Hollywood productions, Mm. to being... A curmudgeon? Yes. A grouchy (laughs) old lady on a talk show. And that's how I'm used to thinking about her. But I think there is some great complexity in how she goes from this performance artist to this grouch oh, yeah. on this talk show. This beloved national treasure grouch, by the way. Let's be real. Oh, sure. It is useful to remember that this woman who is now spouting off on TV and shopping for sneakers with Complex yes. was one of the biggest movie stars in America for like four years. Okay. And she did Comic Relief. She hosted uh-huh. the Academy Awards. Four times. Four times she hosted the Oscars. And she wins this Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. A.K.A. an EGOT. And she's just a captivating star. And so now we're at a point in her career where we just really take her for granted. She's just a part of the landscape. But she's done so much. She lived a whole ass life. (laughs) Well, let's look at that life. As an artist, as a black woman, as a person who was really interested in messing with the rules of how we exist in this world, let's just let's just look at Whoopi Goldberg. There's something undefinable that beckons travelers back to the greater Fort Myers area in southwest Florida year after year. It feels like bare feet on soft white sand beaches that give way to gently lapping waves. It looks like the breathtaking abundance of wildlife, colorful birds, dolphins, manatees, and more, dwelling in lush mangrove ecosystems and translucent gulf waters. It tastes like fresh coastal cuisine served at sunset at a waterfront restaurant. What will draw you back to Fort Myers? Go to visitfortmyers.com for more inspiration. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good, but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. In the mid-1980s, there was not a lot of variety to the kinds of Black people you were seeing in popular culture. At the movies, it was pretty much Eddie Murphy, the star of Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. On TV, it was, what you talking about, Willis? Yeah. That would be Arnold from Different Strokes, by the way. Into this mix comes work by a woman that seems to express a kind of frustration with the options for black people Mm -hmm. in American popular Mm -hmm. culture. (laughs) 
The person is Whoopi Goldberg, and the show is called Whoopi on Broadway. Mm -hmm. But it was originally called Spook Show. And in this show, she plays a handful of different characters. My name is Fontaine, (laughs) and love is my game. And when I kiss the girls, hey, they all aflame. Come on, let me kiss your hand. No, the one with the diamonds on it. (laughs) Fontaine is a smart... Smooth talking. (laughs) Jive ass (laughs) troublemaker. Uh But the longer she spends in this character, the more you realize there's more to this person as Fontaine talks to the audience and challenges the assumptions the audience has about Fontaine. I noticed a small staircase leading up to a big bookcase, and I'm into books. You know, I got a PhD in literature from Columbia. She's using these characters to challenge the gaze. Mm. I know you don't think I was born a junkie. <laughs> now I have an education. I got a PhD I can't do shit with, you know? So I stay high so I don't get mad. The gaze of the audience mm-hmm. upon her body, upon the accent that she's using, her posture, the way she's embodying this character, you know? And what she's working with is the notion that someone who looks and talks and acts like Fontaine can also be a deeply thoughtful intellect, like the type white people are used to encountering. So I could go in the confession on Saturday, like gets on my knees and like, bless me, Father, for I have since totally been like, I don't know how long uh, <laughs> since my last confession. So another character from this show is a valley girl. And I go, I'm totally like PG. And he goes, are you in a movie? And like, I don't get it. Right. <laughs> and it's all about how she realizes she might be pregnant. Right. And what she's going to do about it. She came up with this show, Whoopi Goldberg, in 1983, and it wound up on HBO in the Mm mid-1980s. It made it to Broadway, played on Broadway in 85. And at this point in American culture, a valley girl was a white girl and looked nothing like a woman with these very black features. Right. This is a woman who was dark brown, Mm. dreadlocks, Mm -hmm. big teeth. Mm Mm-hmm. Dark lips, and she kept them painted dark mm-hmm. on many occasions. Mm-hmm. And the comedy in that routine is everything about this woman was unusual, and she did nothing to alter it. We had to come to her on her terms. But what makes it so dynamic to watch is you know there are Black Valley girls out there like that. <laughs> yes. So as a Black yes. person watching that, it thrills you because you never get to see, I mean, not until the late 90s with Clueless. Or Hillary from Fresh Prince. Right? Do you even get the sense there might be wealthy Black girls from Beverly Hills or whatever? But, you know, you see that in this character. And it's yeah. not about any of that. It's actually a monologue about feminism right. and bodily <laughs> rights and yeah. sexuality. And the thing that's sort of great about this show is it does establish that this is a woman with a vision not only for herself, but a vision of how this handful of black people can live in the world Mm -hmm. and exist in the world. And it is a real achievement as stand-up, as a one-woman show. It's a real achievement in monologuing. And it's a real achievement to me in the depiction of a black identity. It's worth also pointing out that while the show was running off-Broadway and then on-Broadway, it was very well-received and a lot of people went to see it. Alice Walker is also among the show's fans. Of course, Alice Walker being the novelist that writes The Color Purple, which then unlocks another phase of Whoopi's career. She winds up being cast as Seeley in Steven Spielberg and Quincy Jones's production of The Color Purple. And the movie brings these other women into her life 
to help heal and grow her Mm -hmm. into the person that she winds up being by the end of the movie, which is a person who's not going to stand for being abused and smacked around and hurt anymore by Mr., who's her husband. Look at you. You're black, you're poor, you're ugly, you're a woman, you're nothing at all. You do right by me. Everything you even think about going to fail. Despite what she thinks about herself, that idea that she's ugly has followed her around her whole career. Well, it's commentary on how America saw women like her. And it's commentary on how someone like Whoopi, via the vehicle of Celie, has had to fight her whole life to be seen as worthy because we are not conditioned as a culture to appreciate that type of beauty. Right. We just aren't, you know? And so what Celie's character does with that ugliness and how she finds beauty in it is the redemptive arc that defines all of our lives in some way. Yeah, and I would say it also comes to define Whoopi Goldberg's career, mm. right? She's not somebody who is running from her appearance. She is doing interesting things with it, and she is embracing the way she looks. And I'm probably going to have to keep doing this, Jenna, because she was so much a pioneer that I'm going to have to say something like, there was nobody doing this thing that she was doing. Say it as much as you need because the people need to remember. I need to remember. I forgot. She had dreadlocks. Mm. She went and picked up her Golden Globe with her dreads. Yeah. And the Golden Globes, by the way, everybody, they were different. They aren't the pageant they are now. She just went in like a jumpsuit and some sneakers and a jacket. I mean, she looked great, by the way. Mm. She seemed to be so comfortable with herself. And I can remember seeing that as a kid and thinking, that. Yeah. That is what I want. I spent a lot of time basically reenacting that stand-up routine, Mm. right? And I really wanted this woman to be a star. Yeah. You know, she goes from The Color Purple to a movie called Jumping Jack Flash. Watch your mouth. There is a dead man floating around in the river. I think it's time to go home now. She then makes a movie called Burglar. And don't you ever, ever try to steal anything from me again. You understand that? Yeah. Okay, now get the fuck out. And a movie called Fatal Beauty. Take your hand off my arm. Excuse me, my mistake. Uh, Last night, at least 10 of your son's friends OD'd. Your son says he got the stuff from you. Among other things, my son is also a congenital liar. And in all of these movies, she is the star. Mm. She is the person on the poster underneath the title doing something like sitting in a car with her feet up, doing a split in the air, driving a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And what you realize watching something like Jumping Jack Flash, which is the most charming of these movies, she basically plays a woman trying to help somebody solve a crime, basically. Mm. And she's really sweet and open-faced, and there's a kind of wonder about her. But then it was pretty clear that the scripts that were probably coming her way were things that Eddie Murphy was saying no to. Oh, interesting. They all seem like Beverly Hills Cop knockoffs. (laughs) (laughs) But it's clear that the movies do not know what to do with this woman. Right. They can't handle her knowing herself. Right. Right. But that's the bigger problem that Hollywood has in general with us is they never know what to do with us. The whoopee that we're used to from her stand up doesn't entirely disappear, but kind of gets subsumed by this broader understanding of who who she can only be in this culture. Right, right. I can't tell if she's breaking molds or being put into them because mm. she is in these subservient, strange 
stereotypical roles that are often given to Black people in the films, but she's also doing much more interesting things with them. No, you're right. This is an opportunity that Whoopi has, and she takes full advantage of it. But then she winds up playing this housekeeper named Clara in a movie named Clara's Heart, and it's all about her helping Neil Patrick Harris, a very young Doogie Howser era, Mm -hmm. Neil Patrick Harris, figure out his life. Mm -hmm. And she's good in that movie, by the way. But you feel like the movies are trying to tell her, you know, God is trying to tell you something. (laughs) Like, you feel like the movies are trying to tell Whoopi Goldberg what they want her to be. Right, right, right. So two years later Uh comes the part that changes her career again. Hmm. He wants me to tell you what he's saying word for word. And it's Otome Brown in Ghost. Molly, you're in danger. Now, you can't just blurt it out like that and quit moving around, will you? Because you start to make me dizzy. I'll just tell her in my own way. Molly, you in danger, girl. In the summer of 1990, Ghost took over America. It's a story about a banker who's played by Patrick Swayze who gets killed. And he becomes a ghost. And then he's trying to protect his lady who's played by Demi Moore. And a fine haircut, by the way. Very gay haircut, but... <laughs> It's amazing. It's an amazing haircut. So desperate to like try to communicate with his wife because he can't do it because he's a ghost. (laughs) He goes and finds a medium, somebody who can actually talk to ghosts, who's played by Whoopi. But when we meet her, she's a con woman who actually, lo and behold, isn't a con woman after all. She really can talk to ghosts. And he uses her to protect me more from the people who killed him. (laughs) When you put it that way, it sounds so ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's about. But but the right. but the means by which he has to communicate yeah, with yeah. the lady yeah. is through this this medium who's played by Whoopi Goldberg. Right. Played exquisitely. I mean, listen, every time Odame Brown, who is Whoopi's character's Pause. name. Her name is Odame Brown. Step one. Step two. Every time she's in her medium mode, she is wearing a shimmery copper lame caftan that your girl needs to possess ASAP. <laughs> Wait, like, you don't already have one of those? <laughs> not like that. No, not like that. So the idea that this white man is using this black woman's brain, spirituality, sixth sense, and ultimately body to communicate with this white woman is only a problem if you think about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, he hijacks her entire life. I mean, he does eventually get consent to occupy her body. She invites him to. Only after seeing a black man jump into her body first without without permission. Right. Right. So at some point, Otome winds up at Molly's house. Molly played by Demi Moore, of course. And Sam is with her. Sam, the ghost, Patrick Swayze. And he just says... To no one in particular, but I guess to Otome, I'd really love to to be with her. One last time. One last time. And Otome is like, fine. You can you can use me. And the scene that follows, you know, Patrick Swayze now has flesh. And so the two of them are just kind of caressing and like, you know, like really basking in each other. But even as a child, I remember thinking, but that's whoopy though. <laughs> and that is for me what some call my root, <laughs> the root to my queerness. But you know, I remember watching that scene and feeling so uncomfortable by yeah. it. Part of the reason he has to save Molly is because there's 
money laundering that's happening. And his death turns out to be a setup. But even after they use her to get the money back and then use her to have this one last sensual slow dance, they don't even offer to pay her, pay for her cab back to Brooklyn. It's just important to say that the movie being a sensation was in part a sensation for Whoopi Goldberg. I know for me, when I saw this the three times I saw it, Mm -hmm. the thing that I was going to see was a black person be a particular kind of black in a movie, Mm. right? To be black on some white people, Mm. right? To say, this is ridiculous, (laughs) this plot. It makes no Mm. sense. I don't know. what You're a ghost? And you want me to communicate with her? And, oh, wait, I'm also clairvoyant. I really really am gifted. And you're the proof of my gift. Yes. But her reluctance to keep going further results in her telling off Patrick Swayze or any Mm -hmm. other person But then once he gets control, narrative control over her life, she then has to comport herself in a way that seems plausible as a black woman moving through white space. Interesting. And so she puts on that fuchsia dress and goes to take the money out of the bank. And it's all about how she has to be somebody other than Oda Mae Brown and has to be this person that white people think would even have a bank account at this bank. So she loses all of the agency that she's fought so hard for in the stand up even more. And it really just becomes about how race is forced upon her, not about how she is forcing the world to bend to her as a person who has a race, you know? Right, right. When she was a con woman, just, like, pretending to be psychic, she was free. Yeah. And now as a person with an actual gift, who has an actual talent, she's in a box. But at the same time, it just solidified how much I loved this woman. Agree. Because she's in this space, she's in this major hit movie and I mean, where's you and I are sitting here practicing criticism on this movie, but she is she is still whoopy, right? Of course. She's bound by America's imagination, but that's their problem, not hers. Right. And just seeing her win that Oscar. Thanks. <sighs> Ever since I was a little kid, I've wanted this. You don't know. <laughs> My brother sitting there, he says, thank God we don't have to listen to anymore. You can do it now. My mom's home. Everybody's watching. It's the thing that all actors sort of feel when they win such an award. Mm. But you've never heard a black person just say, like, yeah, I've always wanted this. I practice this speech every day in my living room. Yeah. I want to thank everybody who makes movies. I come from New York. As a little kid, I lived in the projects. And you're the people I watched. You're the people wanted, made me want to be an actor. I'm so proud to be here. I'm proud to be an actor. And I'm going to keep on acting. And thank you so much. So that speech that she gives is just, it just really moved me. Because she's only the second black woman to win one. After? After Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind. Which is really important to think about how much the film industry supposedly has changed since Gone with the Wind. And yet, here you have Whoopi winning for playing a role that's not too dissimilar from the role that Hattie played in Gone with the Wind. She is essentially really a domestic to these two white people. Yes. Working for them for no pay. For no goddamn pay. The success of that movie and the thing that it did for her career, which is basically, it makes her an Oscar-winning movie star. She goes from Ghost, more or less, to Sister Act. Mm. And once she's in Sister Act, you know, which comes out in 1992, there really isn't a lot Whoopi can do wrong, right? She just is 
at the prime of her comic imagination in a lot of ways. And she's also at the peak of her commercial success. Sometime during this run, somebody has the idea to throw Whoopi Goldberg a friar's roast. Mm. Doesn't go well. We're going to talk about what happened when we come back. Craft matters in small ways, like how coffee is made or how a wooden table is built piece by piece. And in not so small ways, like how your money is cared for. At UBS, we elevate investing to a craft. We deliver our services with passion, expertise, and meticulous attention to detail. This is what investing means to UBS. Not just work, but a craft. Discover more at ubs.com forward slash craft. The value of investments may fall as well as rise, and you may not get back the amount originally invested. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with The New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are hand-picked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. So at the height of her stardom, somebody decides to throw Whoopi a Friars Roast. Mm. And, you know, how's Whoopi going to say no to that? <laughs> she ought to have a Friars Roast. Mm-hmm. I assume she wanted to have some say mm. in some aspect of this production in terms of who came to roast her. Yeah. And so she flexed her muscles to try to make that happen. It doesn't go well. <laughs> it's an understatement, but go on. <laughs> but she was still whoopy about it. But then this roast happens. And it's not your average roast, right? I mean, maybe it is, but how many black women have ever been roasted by any sort of friars club or anything? And here we have it once again. Whoopi Goldberg, pioneer, mm. has her boyfriend, Ted Danson, who just completed a decade-long run as Sam Malone on America's favorite show, Cheers, come out in blackface. I guess we we can call it that. I don't want to imagine what it would look like if he'd done it well, but it's not even good blackface. I mean... It's septic it's in its look. It's septic. It's really grim. We have to rely on photographs from that day, or a photograph. I found a picture mm. of Ted Danson's face. There's no recording. Roger Ebert was in the audience, mm. And wrote a really sort of devastating account of what Mm. happened. And I also found a story written by Louis Theroux with a transcript, more or less, in Spy Magazine. Dearly departed, super missed Spy Magazine. Mm. I guess guess I should read some of it. You have to because it's impossible to get how bad it is. Like if the jokes were funny, if the jokes landed, if the jokes 
were good at all, then we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation, right? But it does not work on many levels, and we have to talk about why. And apparently he starts out by saying, I love you, Whoopi. I'm proud of you. I'm so happy we're together. But I'm here to also let you know, Ted, that does not excuse what comes next. Continue, sir. Before I get into my thing, I wanted to say that this morning as I was shaving and wondering what I was going to say this afternoon, Whoopi was giving me a blowjob. And all of a sudden, I looked down and I said, Carl, come on, whoop. Don't nigger lip it. Skirt, skirt. No. Yeah. I came to discuss a problem here, ladies and gentlemen. Please now. I know, I'm prepared for arguments. But I've got to tell you, black chicks sure do know their way around a dick. But in all fairness, white girls get toys for Christmas. But I tell you, I sure was nervous today. Right before we started, someone pulled me aside and said, Ted, remember the mayor is coming. Mayor David Dinkins, mayor of New York. First and only black mayor of New York. Don't do any political stuff. Just do nigger jokes. All right, I think that's enough. I I, I know that this is the point at which, because I've also read the transcript, that Ted Danson goes on to say the N-word about 25 more times. He makes jokes about how... You know, he didn't know if he could bring Whoopi home to his parents, but they loved her. They loved her after she did the dishes, she did the laundry, and then by then it was too dark for her to do the windows, so they sat down. Dad drove her to the bus stop. Yeah. It's so reductive, and it's so frustrating because there are so many ways to talk about race and blackness and the way white people encounter black people without drawing on this incredibly painful history. And Ted Danson fails at every turn. So... You know, people got up and left. People were outraged. People were incensed. There was one reaction captured in a Times article about how the roast landed for people who even weren't in the room. A man named Richard Green, who's the owner of the Crown and Glory Hair Salon on Lexington Avenue, says, The couple's little stunt has been a hot topic among his predominantly black female clientele. A lot of people feel she's just covering up for Ted and not looking at it As an insult to a race of people, Mr. Green said, she may say or think that comedy has no limits. In reality, it does. And what they did exceeds those limits. What hair salon is this? Because I'm getting my hair did there. (laughs) But the point is, they're trying to trade on a capital that Whoopi alone has earned and that, frankly, Black people alone mm -hmm. probably possess. And I think... I understand the temptation to think that it would be really provocative to go as far as one can possibly go within the confines of comedy to try to deconstruct and think through things like blackface and things like the N-word. But when you're white and you're trading on that power, that permission, because you're with a black person, it does not go over well in the community. I know she had a hand in this material. She says she wrote it. She later said, you know, she she defends Ted Danson and later says that she wrote the majority of it, which may have also just been a cover. But he also says, well, she dared me to do it. So they're in cahoots in some way, but it's not functioning, you know, to the rest of us in the way they imagined it in their minds. And she spent so much of her career trying to figure out how to subvert and transcend these very stereotypes. Yeah, I mean, her entire career started out by not even allowing those boxes to be an option. So to feel like someone who has this access, who is in this intimate proximity to her— I don't know. It's the whole thing is very unseemly. But we've also never at this point had a star who is this close to whiteness artistically. Right. Sexually. 
professionally? I mean, it, it isn't so much that there's no precedent for this, but she was performing all of that proximity, right? Yeah. It's not like she's the first black woman to sleep with a white man right, consensually. Right. It's more like they were taking this interracial relationship and turning it into a specimen of toxicity in some way. Yeah, and that projection is... You're allowed to fill it in with all of these historical ideas about black women. Right. It's also worth pointing out that the relationship pretty much ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as what we know about the relationship, it's pretty much over not too long yeah. after this incident. Yeah. And I really wonder, like, what those conversations were like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and whether this incident had anything to do with how they negotiated whether they were going to be with each other anymore. Yeah. So I do think that this gets really conveniently into other choices that she winds up making, right? Like, she does play a maid in Karina Karina, like, the next year. Mm -hmm. She plays a maid in, you know, the 1950s or 60s. I think it's the 60s. And she, the maid and Ray Liotta kind of fall in love with each other. But there's a problem, which is they're in the 50s or 60s. And, (laughs) you know, it just becomes a scandal. Mm -hmm. And it's frowned upon, basically. And a lot of the work she winds up doing after this blackface incident are interrogations of her relationship to whiteness in some way. Including... Can we talk man to man? Man to man. That's it. I like that. Hewlett Packard wants to stay involved with Cindernex. And Robert, with you at the wheel, they'd be damn fools not to. Cindernex is Laurel's baby. If Laurel wants a baby, she can go find a man and have one. (laughs) A film called The Associate, which follows Whoopi Goldberg, who happens to be a very talented investment banker who can't get taken seriously because she's a woman and because she's a black woman. Although they never really talk about her blackness. They mostly couch it in terms of gender. But she essentially makes up the character of a white banking partner who runs the business that she actually is kind of the mastermind behind. And so the whole film becomes this caper to find the real Robert Cuddy, who is the the ghost that she's created and is kind of hiding behind, to the point where she starts dressing in white drag because the demand to meet this white mastermind becomes so charged and and she can't avoid it any longer. So she starts going out in little bits and pieces dressed as this old white guy. But you accepted me as one of your own, which I find amazing. You let my work speak for itself, and look what's happened. You've made me businessman of the year. But in the words of Groucho Marx, I don't want to be part of a club that would have me as a member. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, if memory serves, the big reveal is Cuddy goes up to give a speech or he wins an award or something. And he gets inaugurated for entering to some very exclusive elite bankers club. And she goes to this event in drag as this man and gives this whole very triumphant speech about, you know, his business acumen. And then piece by piece takes off the costume and reveals that it's been her all along. Mm. And I just found it to be really interesting commentary about Whoopi Goldberg being kind of the best, but the limitations that she faces that no one's really willing to talk about anymore because it's supposed to be the 90s and everything's progressive and people don't see color anymore. But she faces a very real white ceiling, a white glass ceiling that she cannot surpass. And in thinking about this character where she's playing a person who's essentially in white drag, 
you know, if we think back to Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg herself is a kind of invention. Whoopi was born Karen Johnson, and she took the stage name Whoopi Goldberg because the first half comes from the fact that she's gassy, kind of like a Whoopi cushion. And she says that the name Goldberg, first she was saying that there are Goldbergs in her family, but she also said, and this is very problematic, but that she picked that last name because she thinks Jewish people do better in show business. So similar to this character, she is kind of making up a version of herself that she thinks will do better amongst white people, which is really fascinating. It isn't so much that she wants to be white. It's that she understands that whiteness is a means by which you can become successful. She uses whiteness as a tool. And actually, maybe that gets at why the roast doesn't work, because of the ways in which blackness then is used against her. And it undermines the like all of the intellect and all the searing wit that she's brought to her career, which is understanding the way whiteness functions in society way better than white people do. <laughs> right. I mean, her joke was has never been on her blackness. Right. 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 She's never exploited her blackness. Right. As a source of comedy. Right. And, you know, she has been controversial among black people for being the kind of black person she was. And often it's that proximity to whiteness that has annoyed people. One of her critics for a long time was Spike Lee. He was upset that at some point she wore blue contacts. He was upset that at some point she said that Steven Spielberg was the only person who could have possibly directed the color purple. Mm. And, you know, this is a young Spike Lee and a young Whoopi Goldberg sort of going head-to-head about how black people are basically should be represented. Mm -hmm. Spike Lee was kind of being the respectability person over Mm -hmm. here. And Whoopi was like, I'm going to just do what I want to do. And if that upsets you, that's your problem. But I'm here to do me. And I'm not saying anything bad about black people or blackness. But I also can't play by your rules. And it's funny to think about Spike Lee and Whoopi Goldberg in opposition to each other yes. for the time that they were in opposition, because there are lots of pictures of them hanging out when they were young people, too. Like, they're at the Oscars together. They're on the street somewhere together in middle age. I mean, they must have kissed and made up at some point. But if you think about their relationships at the early part and very heights of their early fame, Spike Lee was somebody who was commodifying blackness, mm. right? And... He didn't have a problem sort of taking blackness to Nike and and finding ways to to take his black self and turn it into T-shirts and hats and a business, a Mm. major business. Meanwhile, Whoopi Goldberg really wasn't interested, as far as I can see, in selling blackness to anybody. She was more interested in complicating the Mm. black person she felt she was. It might be worth going back to the beginning of Whoopi's career and thinking about her ambitions and what she set out trying to do. And this man looked at me and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I understand. I love you. And I thought he was joking. So I screamed at him. (laughs) I did. I said, I'm not a freak. I'm not your crip of the week. I don't want you telling people I pulled the wool over that dumb crip's eyes. And he looked at me and he said, no. I happen to think you're a very foxy chick. And I have to tell you, that was the right answer. I'm thinking specifically about the characters in Spook Show, a.k.a. you know Whoopi Goldberg on Broadway. One of them is physically disabled mm-hmm. and, you know, has a sort of palsy. 
And that character is talking about getting married. Falling in love. And here we have it once again, Whoopi Goldberg. Pioneer is thinking about the intersection of all of these selves and Mm -hmm. ways of being in the world. And it isn't so much that any one self is more important than the other, but they all exist in this one body. Mm-hmm. She's seeing the person in the body and not the body containing a person. Mm-hmm. That's not how we think if we ever think at all about disabled people. Yeah. We think about all of the disses, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. the limitations. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this is about. And the beauty of it is this was a person thinking about other people in the world. And I think that's the great thing about her comedy. I think that's the great thing about her on The View in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is that she, to her detriment sometimes, is thinking about other people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She has a lot of compassion and it's gotten her into a lot of trouble because it can often seem short-sighted or not thoroughly considered. So, you know, when somebody like Liam Neeson says, I was in pursuit of black people to to attack after a black person allegedly attacked my friend and she defends him, it isn't so much about her being right about Liam Neeson. It's about her being free to say it. There is something about Whoopi that is so difficult to categorize in ways that feel convenient even now. And I think we live in an era where we're always trying to sort of weigh out and place people on a spectrum of yes to no or good to bad or worthwhile or not worthwhile. Because, again, I maintain that we're just so overloaded with people and ideas and things to consider that it's helpful to know, do we keep this person or do we toss them to the side? Cancel or keep? You know, that's like the binary that we operate in. And a lot of people spend, especially if they're high profile or famous people, they spend a lot of time virtue signaling to stay on the good side of that of that spectrum. And Whoopi seems like someone who is not terribly concerned with where she falls on that meter. Mm. There's a deep complexity there. I think that she was one of those people who really wanted to see if she could free us mm. from this folly. And it was never that she said it was stupid or it didn't exist or, you know, black people, you need to think differently. She just was trying to be a beacon to bring people to some other place in themselves. And I don't know if you can ask for anything else from a major star other than that. Still Processing is a product of The New York Times. It's produced by Nina Patuk. Our editors are Sasha Weiss and Larissa Anderson. We get editorial oversight from Lisa Tobin and Samantha Hennig. Our engineer is Jake Gorski. And our theme music is by Kindness. It's called World Restart from the album Otherness. You can find all of our past episodes and transcripts and other things at nytimes.com forward slash still processing. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 